morning. Welcome to church on this uh, Easter Sunday. If you don't know me, my name is Adam and it's just wonderful to have you with us this morning. If uh, someone's invited you to church this morning, if someone's dragged you to church this morning, if you're part of the church family, we're just so glad to be together and to be able to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and to explore its implications for our lives. Now, if you've been around uh, Bray Park in the last few weeks, you know that we've been in a, a series of sermons that we've called Reason to Believe. We've been asking the question, do we have reason to believe in Jesus? And to answer this question, we've been exploring seven miracles that Jesus performed during his life and that were recorded in the Gospel of John, one of the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. Now, when John recorded these miracles, he called them signs because they tell us something about who Jesus is and why Jesus came. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the seventh final climactic sign that Jesus performed in the Gospel of John. We'll be looking at the account when Jesus raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. And we read the account of this story in uh, John chapter 11. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 11. The story takes up the whole uh, entirety of the chapter, but we'll just read a selection of verses and then we'll uh, talk about them for just a moment. If you don't have your Bibles, you can uh, follow along on the screen as well. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, this is what we read. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. 
When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. What's the greatest news that you've ever received? What's the best news that you have ever heard? Maybe it was the time when you went to the doctor and the doctor gave you the news that the scan is clear. Perhaps it was the time when a loved one was in surgery and the surgeon came out and said, everything went smoothly, they'll be fine. Maybe it was the time when you were down on one knee and she said, yes. Maybe it was the time that he finally got down on one knee and asked you the question. Perhaps it was the time when you got a phone call from the real estate agent saying they've accepted your offer. Or you got a phone call saying you got the job. What's the greatest news that you've ever heard? Personally, I'll never forget the day that I came home from work and Molly and I were both going out that night, my wife Molly. She was going to boot camp, I was going to indoor cricket. But I got home from work a little bit late and so she was already upstairs getting ready. Or so I thought. And as I come up the stairs, she steps out of the bathroom and she's not in her workout clothes and she has a bit of a funny look on her face and she's holding a small white thing in her hand and she says to me, I think I'm pregnant. That changed my life. That was some of the best news that I've ever heard. What's the best news you've ever received? In the passage that we read a moment ago, Jesus makes a claim that if it's true, It is the greatest news that has ever been uttered in human history. Jesus makes a claim that if it's true, it could change our lives forever. Verses 25 to 26. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. This is an astonishing, life-changing, paradigm-altering claim. I am the resurrection and the life. But what does Jesus exactly mean by this? What is Jesus claiming here? Well, to put it simply, Jesus is claiming to be able to give us life with God, both before and beyond death. Jesus is claiming to give us life that is not taken away or destroyed by the grave. He's claiming to give us life that goes beyond the grave. Jesus is claiming to give us life with God, not just physical life, not just existence, but life with God, life that never ends, life that gets better and better. This is a breathtaking claim. This is a life-changing claim. This is potentially the greatest news in the history of the world. If it's true. And that's the question, isn't it? Is it true? Is Jesus telling us the truth? This is such an important question for us to answer because if it's false, if Jesus is lying to us, if he's deluded, if he's a fraud, then Macbeth was right. Life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. 
In other words, we might as well go home, eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But if Jesus is telling us the truth, if Jesus really can give us life with God before and beyond the grave, then this is the greatest news in the history of the world. And so what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus' claim? Do you believe that he's telling us the truth or do you believe that he's not? I know that some of us here today are not Christians. We don't believe in Jesus. We don't believe in his life, death and resurrection. I know that others of us here are here who would say that we have a faith in Jesus, but it's, if we're honest, a little bit old and cold. It's a little bit dusty. Jesus' reality doesn't really impact our day-to-day reality. I know that we're all in different places when it comes to our faith in Jesus and our relationship with God. And so I want to ask us a question this morning, just a simple question to get us thinking. And it's not a question about the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, though that's important and there is plenty of solid evidence for that, which I've tried to give you on the handout that hopefully you received on the way in. I want to to ask us a different question, a simple question, just to get us thinking. And the question is simply this. What if it's true? What if Jesus is telling us the truth? What if Jesus really is the resurrection and the life, the one who can offer us life with God before and beyond the grave? The simple fact of the matter is, if it is true, then it changes everything. Let me tell you what it means if Jesus is telling us the truth. It means that we can know God. It means that we can know God's love and power in our lives today. It means that forgiveness of sin is possible and freely available. It means that this universe is not hopeless and purposeless and meaningless. It means that God has glorious plans for this world and for us. It fills our present lives with meaning. It infuses our future with hope and joy. It removes the sting of death. It robs the grave of final victory. It transforms our anxiety into hope, our guilt into freedom. It means our tears will be dried. Our grief will be changed into joy. Our pain will be dissolved. It means that God has the final say. If it's true, it changes everything. And I believe that deep down, even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not sure about Jesus, I believe that deep down you want Jesus' claim to be true. You want to know that your life and this world has meaning and purpose. You want to know that your guilt and your shame can be dealt with. You want to know that you can have hope for the future. And above all those things, I believe that you want to know that death is not the end. That life with God is possible before and beyond the grace. One writer has said that the greatest problem for humanity is how to have a hope that can make sense of death, stand up to death and help us face the fear of death and even triumph over it. And he's right, our greatest enemy is death. Your greatest enemy is death. Deep down, we all want to know that death is not the end. And one of the ways in our modern secular world that we try to 
deal with death, the reality of death, is we try to minimise it. We try to convince ourselves that death is nothing to be frightened of. It's just a, a natural process and a natural part of life. We might call this kind of view the Lion King philosophy. Remember in The Lion King when Mufasa tells Simba that though the lions you know, eat the antelopes, don't worry, the lions eventually die and they fertilise the grass and the antelopes eat the grass. And so we're all connected in this great circle of life. Now, now this kind of sounds nice, but the problem is we don't, just, we don't believe it. We don't believe it. I read a story once about a seven-year-old boy whose three-year-old cousin died, passed away. And this seven-year-old boy asked his mother, he said, well, where is my cousin now? And the mother didn't really believe in God or any kind of afterlife. And so she said to this little boy, she said, your cousin has gone back to the earth from which we all come. Death is a natural part of the cycle of life. So when you see the earth put forth new flowers next spring, you can know that it is your cousin's life that is fertilising those flowers. Now how did the little boy respond? He screamed, he said, I don't want him to be fertiliser. And he ran away. Now we giggle, but there's reality in that. Deep down we know that death is an enemy. Carl Jung, he's a Swiss psychiatrist from the mid-1900s. Now interestingly, Carl's dad was a pastor, a minister, and so were eight of his uncles. But Carl himself was not a believer. And he said this, he said, death is indeed a fearful piece of brutality. There is no sense pretending otherwise. It is brutal, not only as a physical event, but far more so psychically. A human being is torn away from us, and what remains is the icy stillness of death. There is no longer any hope of a relationship, for all the bridges have been smashed at one blow. Death is an enemy. One of my favourite albums that was released last year was called A Crow Looked at Me. It's a weird album cover, a weird name, uh, but it's a great album. It was by a, a guy by the name of Mount Erie. That's his artist's name. His actual name is Phil Elverham. Now in 2016, the year before Phil released this album, his wife Genevieve passed away after a battle with pancreatic cancer. And she left behind Phil and their young daughter. And this album that Phil released is a brutally honest meditation on his wife's death and her memory. And the first song on the album is called Real Death. And the lyrics to this song, they say, Death is real. Someone's there and then they're not. And it's not for singing about. It's not for making into art. When real death enters the house, all poetry is dumb. When I walk into the room where you were and look into the emptiness instead, all fails. My knees fail. My brain fails. Words fail. Crusted with tears, catatonic and raw, I go downstairs and outside and you still get mail. A week after you died, a package with your name on it came. And inside was a gift for our daughter you had ordered in secret. And collapsed on the, there on the front steps, I wailed. A backpack for when she goes to school a couple years from now. You were thinking ahead to a future you must have known deep down would not include you. Though you clawed at the cliff you were sliding down, being swallowed into a silence that's bottomless and real, it's dumb. And I don't want to learn anything from this. I love you. We try to deny the reality and the power of death. 
But the truth is it keeps disturbing us, it keeps haunting us and it keeps draining away our hope. And this is what makes Jesus' claim in John chapter 11 so breathtaking and so potentially life-changing. This is what makes Jesus' claim in John 11 the greatest news in the world. But of course it leads us back to the question we asked at the start, doesn't it? Well, is it true? Or is it false? Is Jesus deluded? Is he a fraud? Or is he telling us the truth? Is he sharing with us the greatest news in the world? How can we know? Surely we need a sign from Jesus. Surely we need Jesus to do something to validate his claim, to prove the truth of what he says. And this is exactly what Jesus gives us when he raises his friend Lazarus from the death, from the grave. See, Jesus claims, I am the resurrection and the life, and then he proves it by raising Lazarus from the dead. But I want you to notice that when Jesus is standing before the tomb of his friend, he's angry. In verse 33, look at what we read. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now that's a tame translation. It literally means Jesus' nostrils are flaring. He's angry. Now why is he angry? He's angry at the sin and death that has ravaged his world and the people that he loves. See, death was not a part of God's original design. We were not created to age and to fade and to weaken and to die. We were not created for love relationships that end in death. Death is an intrusion in God's good world. It's a result of our sin and our turning away from God who is life. But you see, Easter Sunday and the claim that Jesus makes here, it proves to us that God has not turned away from us. That God has come to destroy death and to give us life. This is the point of the story. This is why Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And as Jesus is standing outside the tomb of his friend Lazarus, he says, take away the stone. Now we're not told how the crowd responded to this command, but we're told how Martha responded, Lazarus' sister. And she wasn't so sure about this idea. She was worried about the smell. Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Look at verse 39. But Lord said Martha, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Now, you look this up in the King James translation. It says, Lord, by this time he stinketh. (laughs) Now, I haven't told you that for any other reason than it's just funny. (laughs) But Jesus assures Martha that she's about to see the glory of God at work. And so Jesus prays out loud and then with a loud voice he says, Lazarus, come out. Can you imagine the tension of this moment? I mean, if nothing happens, then Jesus would be exposed as a fraud, as powerless, as foolish, even cruel for giving false hope to these grieving sisters. But just as Jesus promised and at Jesus' command... Lazarus emerges from the tomb, still wrapped in his grave clothes. Look at verse 44. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. How do you think you would have responded if you were there 
We're told how some in the crowd responded. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Jesus claims that he is the resurrection and the life and then he proves it by raising Lazarus from the dead. And so let me ask you, what is your response to Jesus? If he is who he says he is, if he is who he claims to be, it changes everything. It means that there is hope for for you and for this world. It means that there are answers to life's fundamental questions. And it means that for each and every person in this room today, you can freely receive life with God both before and beyond the grace. And I know that many of us here have embraced Jesus and we're enjoying the life that he gives and we're anticipating the future that he promises. But maybe others of us are wondering, well, how do I receive this life that Jesus offers? He tells us in verse 25, he says, the one who believes in me will live. Notice Jesus Jesus doesn't say the religious will live. The good people will live. Those who come to church on Easter Sunday will live. No, he says the one who believes in me will live. Now what does it mean to believe in Jesus? It means to trust him. It means to trust his word, to trust that what he says is true. It means to trust your entire life to him. See, Jesus is not just a a bit of garnish on the side of our lives. Jesus is not just an optional extra that we pay homage to once or twice a year. If we receive Jesus, we receive all of him and he becomes our life. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead to prove that he was no liar, he was not deluded, he was no fraud, but he was and is the resurrection and the life. And on this Easter Sunday, we also remember that Jesus himself was raised from the grave, that he broke the shackles of death, he broke free from his tomb to prove to us once and for all that sin has been paid for, death has been defeated, And that life with God before and beyond the grave is on offer. Do you believe this? That was the question that Jesus asked Martha and this is the question I want to leave with you this Easter. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that when Jesus rose again, death was defeated, sin was paid for, and life with you was freely given to us. Help us to receive that and walk in that, Lord, for all the days of our life. Jesus, we confess that you are the resurrection and the life. Amen. Church, let's stand together as we respond in song. And as this song says, King of heaven, come, we encourage you to use these words, these lyrics, to personally invite Jesus into your life, to accept the offer of love and forgiveness. Jesus, let your kingdom come.